0: Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. I, I, as a physical therapist, I deal with two type of athletes. I have the in-season athlete, and when is it right to put them back on the field versus the athlete who is done for the season and having to get back out there. I often have conversations with my athletes sometimes early in the season where I'm saying, hey, listen, this is the football season. We've got 10 games plus the playoffs, you know, the athletes are so competitive. They want to be out there, you know, and, and you, you discuss the risk factors and you speak with the parents and you say, Hey, these are the risks. This is the, oftentimes the surgeon will be like, it's up to you guys. And I'll give them all the information. I try and tell the kids to say, Hey, when you're out there and, and even the coach is going to go is, is your 80% better than the next best player on the team? As far as protecting the quarterback. Cause I'll say, Hey, if you're in linemen, I'm like, It's not just you. You have to think about you. I know you want to be back on the field, but there's 11, you know, 10 other guys out there that you have to protect. And are you being selfish and going back out there? Are you going to be better than the next guy and be able to protect? Because if you're injured, you're unable to go and you miss your block, you can't do it. Mm -hmm. That could be your ACL, you know, of your quarterback or something like that versus I have, you know, we go through and we watch people's movements and we look for guarding and we try to correct for that and try and put them as best you can in a controlled environment. But there's something to be said. I can't be out on the field in my, you know, in a professional sports team. Yeah, the athletic trainer and the physical therapist can be out on the field in the practice field and observe everything. And we don't get to get to do that as much. I don't have time, uh, money, access, that kind of thing of once that athlete returns to the field, they're still going to be. Sometimes I feel that there's a, there could be a psychological like, Hey, you're fine here, but then you step over that chalk line. And then there's, there's another, Mm -hmm. there's, you know, there's something else that's a barrier that I might not be aware of. I didn't really ask a question (laughs) there, but but any, I guess any advice in dealing with those two, two type of situations.
1: Listen. This is this is something that's very you know very familiar to, to you, and this is this is why. It's, first of all, it's a great that you know something about kinesiophobia, something about guarding uh, on the psychological, on the mental end, and how it can relate to uh, a, you know, a, a, another you know getting re-injured, and nobody wants that. Nobody wants that on a player level, a coach level. The PT doesn't want it. You can be sure the organization uh, doesn't want it. But sometimes. Uh, this guarding against re-injury can, you know, um, you know, can happen. And so I know this is, you know, is, is very familiar. And I, I think that it's good that you have uh, a knowledge base uh, on some of these integrated factors uh, that can sort of, you know, help the athlete in lots of, you know, in lots of different ways. Um, you know, it's, uh, I, I see this in, in a lot of, co- in a lot of coaches where, they they have uh, you know their training for the the individual athlete, um, but they may they often don't have as much even you know knowledge as let's say someone like you understanding these other these other factors. And so when I'm providing uh, you know education and training, it, it's it's not just for the individual athlete. I'm working with. The PTs and the OTs and the coaches, so they all have a, a better knowledge base in some of these things that might not be as well known to some, you know to some of them. And sometimes there are uh, things are changing, but years and years ago, they would really see, like I said, you know, the mental game way over way over here, and what what is this mental game? what what, what does psychology have to do? With you know protecting the quarterback, or you know what does that what does that ha- what does that have to do with running the, the forty yard dash and in four four, you know well it is, it is a lot to do with it, and it's just about dialogue and communication, um, and I, I I find myself that you know I'm still doing a, a decent amount of that, which is fine. I mean you only know what you know, but I learned from in turn from from them maybe something on the tactical or the technical or physical. And I just think as practitioners, we can all learn from each other. You see us all as a performance team and and hopefully, you know, more parents and athletes will retain your services and retain my services uh, so that they have a really good mental game and that they're, you know, physically fit and loose and flexible and all those things.
0: Yeah. I think there's a lot to be said. You have new PTs out there and no disrespect to them. They have all this, they tout evidence-based knowledge, but there's something still to be said about clinical experience in 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 the field of such as you, someone coming out of school, just learning it and applying the practical from the didactic knowledge versus having been either, A, I've been an athlete and been injured in returning to sport, as well as treating athletes and the, the mental aspect of that. And I think... I got lucky when I started my own private practice uh, like 14 years ago, I became certified as a Titleist golf fitness instructor Mm -hmm. and worked with um, uh, Dr. Greg Rose uh, with the Title TPI. And he was the first one to actually introduce me to this whole concept of this team for specifically golfer. And obviously back then when I was, was, Tiger Woods was at the top of his game and they talked about, all the different people that were involved to make Tiger who he was, there was that physical therapist, the doctor, the massage therapist, nutritionist, the equipment guy, the swing coach, but also the mental coach was huge. Um, so how does one, you know, how do, how do I get my clients involved with you? How does someone... Um, how, how can I refer you business? How can my people listen to this and say, hey, I want to work with Seth. I need, oh. I, I recognize I've heard some of the things I want to either A, improve my performance or B, you know, someone like my daughter who tore ACL and, and you know, wants to get back on How do we get people involved uh, working with you and your services?
1: Uh, no, I appreciate that. You know, generally, if an athlete has sort of struggled with the mental game, uh, oftentimes they have struggled with it for a while and, and they're not and they're not and they're not self-correcting where let's say they're doubting in their abilities or putting so much pressure on themselves to perform or anger and frustration is getting the better of them and they just know that if they're a little bit more sort of uh, had this emotional calm and if they were more calm and composed and that's interrelated with uh, with internal self-confidence you know let's say if, if an athlete really does not have a very good mental skill set emotional skill set um, where things like as I mentioned it could be self-doubt or they're overthinking um, their, their body is not where they want it to be there's muscle tension and tightness if they struggle with the mental game they've likely uh, struggled with it for a while and they're not self-correcting and they're probably making some connections between their performance and and the men and the mental game. That's, that's exactly someone that I would, you know, that I would work with. Um, generally I work with athletes that are a little bit more competitive. So if you have a competitive athlete, you know, has you know highly skilled, um, but they're just not performing at a high level on a consistent basis and they think that it might have something to do with the psychological and the mental game, that's the type of person who, uh, you know, would be a good candidate for uh, mental training and, you know, and mental conditioning. And that, that's sort of the ideal, I, really the ideal candidate, someone who is really talented uh, in terms of tactical skills, technical skills, physical skills, but they're just underperforming where that talent, that ability, which might be considerable, is just not transferring over. And it's probably because they have some mental and emotional barriers that are standing in the way. That's sort of the ideal person, the ideal athlete client that I work with. And then what happens is through our mental and emotional skill development, we get them where they want to be in mind and body. And now, they start executing at a much higher, uh, a much um, you know, a much higher level. Um, but, uh, so it does take some awareness. Like why, why am I not performing as well as I should, as I, as I should be. And if you think it's maybe a straight technical thing, you'll probably seek out a coach. If you think it's a straight physical thing, you might seek out the strength and conditioning or a physical therapist or someone like that. But if you think that they're sort of the, the X factor, maybe you can't put your, your, your finger on it, but you just sort of know that if you're more confident, trusting, focused, uh, calm and composed, that you'd perform a heck of a lot better. That's really the, the, that's really the, 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 the athlete that would be a really good candidate to work with um, with someone like, you know, someone like me.
0: So, Uh, last thing I'm, I'm looking for some parting advice to my athletes who have just undergone surgery and it's a long road to recovery. What advice do you have to them to help them get through the long journey? I have a kid today, um, Nick, who's having, uh, he dislocated his shoulder twice during the football season and now he's got four months because of COVID, Season starts up in in August. He's got a long road, but it's a short. You know, it's not as long as someone who had another kid that had surgery on Friday. He's a senior, but he had ACL. Like, what kind of long advice do you have him, say to deal with this long term road? Right, right. It
1: starts with it, a, a, a more difficult transition. Is if you maintain a pre-injury mindset. It's really important to. Sort of graduate and make that shift into into what your current situation is. And so that a new narrative develops based on this very new situation. This could be, you know, post-surgery being out of action for a while. And then adjusting expectations as well, which means as part of your rehab and recovery, there might be some pain that's associated with that, it's almost inevitable. But then I could work with that athlete and learn some pain coping techniques. Some athletes like to associate with pain. Some athletes like to dissociate with pain. And I talk some of the specifics of that. So it's a more of a new narrative emerges saying, okay, now I'm in this space. I'm no longer in the soldier, so active duty. You know, I'm no longer sort of this Healthy, um, you know, athlete. I'm now in a new situation. We have a recognition of it. And then, as you talk it through, you know, what does right sound like to me in this new environment? And what are some things that are within our locus of control that helps us to cope and thrive in this less than desired environment? Right. The person doesn't want to get injured. The person didn't want surgery. The person didn't want to be outside of. Outside of sport, how do we how do we negotiate that? So that's my first. You know, if there's some type of takeaway, it's it's having the mental flexibility and being sort of personally adaptive and affirm to yourself that things have changed, but that I have the ability to, uh, you know, to to thrive even in this. Less than ideal in environment, and then I might work with that person so that in that time outside of sport, you, you sort of negotiate it well. You stay mentally healthy. You still stay kind of physically fit to the best that you can do. You stay optimistic. Still stay goal oriented. Now, now all these things are sometimes difficult when you are out of action, and let's say you have surgery, and it's going to be and 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 the. And the, the time frame to return to sport, depending on the severity and the nature of the injury and the surgery could be a while. Uh, but that's uh, another role for uh, somebody like uh, me to be a part of the performance team because you're gonna have certain markers, right? You're gonna have certain uh, goals and range of motion and flexibility and ability to cope with pain and some metrics and quantify progress, right? Helping them to get the most out of this situation make a successful rehabilitation recovery from injury. And that's something that is important to, to me as is, is, is well. And I think that you, you that you know, Andrew, since you work with a lot of people you know who are injured, uh, the, the psychological toll that it can take if they if, if, if they have you know find it very difficult to uh, they're not coping as well in this very new, um, you know, in, you know, in in environment and especially if they've never been there before. And oftentimes in baseball, when I was with the Orioles, I was there 2012 to 2018. Uh, what's really hard is if you're out of action for a while and you have to see guys who are in your draft class, guys who you came up with through the ranks, seeing them advanced precisely because they're on the field if you're on the field it gives you at least the opportunity to do well to see a player who was in your draft class and now maybe they've gone from low a to high a to double a and triple a you know going from uh the delmarva Shorebirds to the frederick keys to the Bowie basox to the norfolk tides i'm just talking about the orioles minor league teams And now, but you're still an A ball and the other guy's knocking on the door at triple A, getting close to the boyhood dream because you're injured and you have to watch them take your, you have to watch them advancing their career. You're watching them get through the minor league pipeline and you were drafted with them. This can be really hard to cope with. And what often happens, athletes, there was never an issue with the Orioles of our pitchers coming back too, too, uh, too slowly. It was always coming back too quickly. And that's associated with, uh, you know, wanting to be back out there on the field to put up the numbers, to get the contract, to advance their career. So you have to be careful not to, uh, you know, sometimes you have to take one step back to take two steps forward. And what I generally see is athletes, Who, especially the high-level athletes, sometimes they just come back too quickly and don't have that degree of patience patience and to see more broadly and more long-term than short-term.
0: Yeah, I I often use the analogy of um, someone who's gone through a divorce, that after the divorce is over, you kind of miss your ex-wife or ex-husband And you only remember the good things. You don't remember all the arguments and all the bad things going on. So oftentimes when I'm dealing with a long-term athlete, the advice that I give them is, and and same thing with, I think with people trying to lose weight, I'm like, don't visualize yourself back on the field yet. We've got at least nine months before you're going to be there. You know, right now, the motivation is remember what it felt like to be on the field and run. Don't worry about what you're going to feel like in the future right now, We have to focus on remembering what it felt like to be out there. But at what point, you know, at some point there has to be a transition like, all right, at what point in the journey do I say, all right, now we see the light at the end of the tunnel? Mm -hmm. How do you know when that time to bring that up? Because you've talked about don't use time when I've talked about my daughter with you said you don't use timeframes for the athletes, because they get stuck on, Hey, if I'm not cleared by this, then they get down. But at what point do we say, Hey, we're this close, you know, mm-hmm. where, how do you know when to make that transition? I mean, as an armchair psychologist that I am. It, yeah. Well, yeah.
1: So, so sometimes we want to get away for, to be, we don't want to be too number centric. We don't, we don't want this to be about time for about time frames because then that often leads to putting a lot of your pressure to get back in at this certain date, at this certain time. And then you probably get away from all the things that got you to that point and on the cusp of transitioning back into sport. Um, well, oftentimes that dividing line is, is when, when, you know, your, your medical team around you says, uh, you know, three months ago, we weren't here. We were, we were sort of visualizing those small those small steps and, and, and uh, celebrating those gains, even times some of those gains in rehab and recovery are incremental, celebrating the wins along the way. But oftentimes once we've, we've sort of listened and learn and applied whatever the rehab recovery program is. And then once often I, times I I find that once you get the medical clearance or, or about to be cleared, as long as you stay on this, path of recovery, then there's often a little bit of a, of a shift. Um, but that's but it's precisely because of that shift that that last um, period of time can be very, very difficult because essentially what we want to do is the same rehab and recovery that got you the medical clearance and, and all the steps that you took, that's the same stuff that helps you to get across uh, and all the, and, and coping and, and thriving. That's the same stuff that carries you across the fi- the finish line. Um, so I, I think that it's important not to become too uh, outcomes based, too results focused, too much about uh, specific dates and times on the calendar. All that sort of takes care of itself. In terms of achieving a more preferred timeline without focusing so much on, on, on times or, or some things that you can't control, like them, like an organization saying, okay, you're ready and we're going to bring you up. So it's really important to, to, to you know, stay a little bit more short term, really process focused, which means you're just focusing on things that are within your control. But certainly, you know, when when you get a little closer to the finish line, if you get medical clearance, um, there's there's real reason for for optimism, but oftentimes you want to just keep doing what you're doing. It's almost like in golf. You know, what you did for the first 54 holes, you know, in terms of mentally and technically, um, and now let's say you've got a three-stroke lead heading into the final round on Sunday. Well, the same stuff that you're doing through 54 holes that got you the three-stroke lead heading into the final round of the PGA Tour event, that's the same stuff that carries you across the finish line. But oftentimes in golf, you'll see on Sunday, especially on the back nine, things can start to fall apart precisely because you're closer
0: to the finish to the mm, finish line that's a great analogy and, and that's now, for injuries that i yeah, never even thought about it like that yeah. that's a great analogy yeah.
1: and so now some things can change but through some mental conditioning mm. allows you to sustain that high level um performance because remember let's say we've all seen this uh, if you watch enough golf where you'll have a really talented player who is you know three-stroke lead heading into the back nine on Sunday with the tournament and the championship on the line. And then you sometimes can see this thing go south and sometimes very, very quickly. Now, all you see is, let's say, the lack of swing fluidity. All you see is maybe a breakdown in the technical execution. And now you don't have the accurate ball striking and the outcome of the shot is is, is lousy. That's all seen and now you see double bogey. So what's seen is the scorecard. What you can see is the lack of swing fluidity. What you can see is the less than ideal ball striking and and the less than ideal outcome on that shot. But what you cannot see is the mental game and they've fallen into this results trap. They're falling into a trap and they're now focusing on the scorecard, they're focusing on the leaderboard, they're focused, they're becoming, they're shifting and becoming outcomes-based, results-focused, number-focused and rewards-focused like the money and the, and the trophy and, the lead, and, and all things like that. And when you start focusing on things that mm-hmm. you very much want like results and winning and the rewards that come from that, that leads to you sort of breaking down in mind and body and now you're doing things like you're telling yourself like you know just 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 don't just don't make a mistake here set <laughs> in the lead and we weren't doing any of those things for 54 holes we weren't doing any of those things that gave us that three stroke lead and so that's what can happen when you get a little closer to the finish line you can become outcomes based results focused and a whole host of things happen you can't see it because you can't separate the mental game from the golf swing for better or for worse. They are separate, but they are very much inter interrelated. So I just want to give you that analogy of let's say the person going through an injury transition and getting close to getting back on the field. And let's say a golfer also getting close to the finish line. It can really make that last piece um quite you know quite that analogy
0: that that analogy just it was mind-blowing I never and I've been doing this for I've been a physical therapist for 20 years never really I knew that with golf but I never thought about that with my athletes returning to sport that they would tighten up as they get closer. closer hey man I I really 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 appreciate having you on Seth Kaplan um, we'll have in the bio, we'll have links to, if people totally. want to work with you, um, we'll make sure we share this out, man. I, I look forward to having you back on again, as a guest, as we come up with some other stuff, maybe on some panels and, and stuff like that. Oh yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I look, I, I look forward to working with you so much. Thanks for coming on my show. Um, have a great day, man.
1: Andrew, I really appreciate the opportunity. This is just, this is just fun. I like talking about uh, sort of sports psychology and, 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 and performance. Uh, and I know you do such a great work with your athletes. So, yeah, that uh, might be an opportunity to uh, uh, collaborate. And, uh, um, and I, I thought this was a really, a really great experience. So I hope we can do it again.
0: All right. Thanks, bud. Have a good day. Thanks, Andrew.
1: Have a good day.